0: Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. We can come to you with empty hands. There's no special things we need to bring to you except for ourselves and surrender ourselves to you and to your grace and to your love. Lord, today as we look at Your Word and as we begin this new series on Isaiah, Father, I pray that You would open our hearts to to what You want us to learn. That You would You would help us to have eyes to see beyond uh, just these words on the page, Lord. That we would, we would be able to connect the dots and we would be able to see how awesome You are and see how You are working through history. That even in the midst of trials and tribulations and and struggles that we have in our daily lives that you're there and that you have a plan and you just want us to persevere and to to make it through and just to to praise you in the midst of our troubles. We thank you Lord for your grace and for your love and we pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. You know we live in um, very troubling troubling times. Pardon me while I clean my glasses. I only have one place I can clean them on right now. That's okay. We live in very troubling and disturbing times. Very unstable. You know, there's, there's a lot of discord and a lot of polarization that, that seems to be happening not only in our world but even in our own families at times that we are, we're finding ourselves separated. And, and even in... I've experienced with my father dying... Um, in October, I experienced some of this polarization, even within my own family, where I never thought it would be. And, and I needed an extra amount of grace in order to deal with it. And I did. And, and I, I won't share with you what happened, but sometimes, if you want to know, I, I can sit down, we can talk about it. I can give you, and I, just, just to kind of show you, this is how we need to handle this polarization that's happening in our world. But there seems to be a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty that seems to have gripped the lives of many people. Though I don't believe it's the majority, and, and if you if you look at the experts, um, I, I've gotten into listening to uh, some of these uh, some people who are talking about. Um, a, a mass distortion that's happening within our society. And it's not that everybody's doing it, but it's amazing how just 30% of the population can affect the whole population, the whole society. And that's what we're seeing today. We have institutions that, you know, for, for growing up we were taught that we need to trust our institutions. We need to trust our colleges. We need to trust our government. And, and now things are happening and people are doing things that just seem to, seem to make us distrust them. And the reason why is because they failed us in times of our greatest need. So we have to ask ourselves, where is the hope? Where is the hope that we had as a society during World War II? Where was the hope that we had during all of our times of conflict? Where is the hope that we had during the 40s and 50s? I know that there were still issues, but we, we at least had this hope. And while what I just laid out can definitely be said about the plight that we're in today, what we're going to find is that it is also true of um, the time of Isaiah. That's okay. But it could also be said of what was going on during the times that Isaiah lived. So obviously we're going to be in Isaiah, and if you want to turn to Isaiah 1... Now I know many people today might think, well, Isaiah is this old book. How could how could it have anything to do with us? I mean, it's a from a conservative perspective, it was probably uh, probably between 740 and 700 BC that Isaiah prophesied. And, and how could that be relevant to us today? I mean, it, it was the Middle East. It was it was Israel. It was a different culture, different time. And and how could that be useful to our technologically driven world? But the reality is, is that Isaiah has a lot to say to us today. We have to keep a couple things in mind. We We have to keep in mind that the New Testament refers to Isaiah 67 times. It is quoted more than any other Old Testament book except for Proverbs. Jesus himself used the prophecy of Isaiah And in fact, he begins his ministry by quoting Isaiah. He is in Nazareth, and he's normally, you know, it wouldn't be like we do today where the pastor prepares a message. What would happen is somebody would get up, and they would grab a scroll, which would have the Old Testament on it. They'd pull up, and they'd read a portion of it. And then they would sit down, and they would all discuss it. So Jesus goes, and he pulls up. This happens to be it was Isaiah that day. And here's what he wrote. This is what he read in Isaiah. And this is from Luke 4, 18-19. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's all from Isaiah. So Jesus goes, he reads that, he goes and sits down and everybody's looking at him. And he says, Today, this has been fulfilled in your presence. Well, that just set it off. He's basically saying that this was written about me. And he's in Nazareth, his hometown, and it begins a process where he gets shunned by his hometown and ends up having to leave. But what's interesting about Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is going to unite the main message of scripture It's going to unite the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And that message is that God saves sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. That, through faith in the Messiah, God will save sinners. But most of all, I want us to understand that that I think that Isaiah is very relevant to us today because at the core there is this truth that we all need to hear. That God can become our enemy. We don't think that. We think, well, God is love. God's our friend. But understand, He can become our enemy. Not because of what He has done, but because of what we do. We must remember that. We'll see this all throughout Isaiah, but especially in chapter 63. We're going to see that God can be our enemy. But in the end, what we're also going to see is that Isaiah doesn't just leave us out there with, you know, you are terrible, you're this terrible person, these people, you're you're awful. You're the enemy, God is your enemy now, that's not where he leaves us. He gives us hope, because God has promised not to leave us in exile. Salvation. Is promised. So like I said, let's open to the book of Isaiah, chapter 1. We are going to do one whole verse today. I promise you that every Sunday is not going to just be one verse, but today I wanted to give you a good introduction to the book of Isaiah. This is what it says. It says, A vision of Isaiah the son of Amaz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, king of Judah. This was a time of crisis. Isaiah, Isaiah who, whose name actually means the Lord saves in Hebrew, he lived in Jerusalem, which was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. The two tribes, the, the, the nation had split into two parts. We know that he had a wife and he had children. And what Isaiah is going to share is mainly going to be concerned with the southern kingdom, which would have been made up of of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. But Judah was not living in a bubble any more than you and I live in a bubble. It's going to be affected by what's going on in the nations around them. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel was made up of the ten tribes, and that kingdom was just about to be destroyed it was going to disappear forever as ten tribes and as a separate kingdom. It was going to be taken over and the people were going to be sent into exile by the Assyrian Empire. But during the, the, the time of Isaiah, during his time of pro- his prophetic, uh, the prophecy that he, he, he gave to the kings and to people, he'll, he'll see six kings Four in the southern and two in the northern kingdom. It'll be a time of political turmoil. I mean, we can kind of understand that, can't we? We can understand how, you know, we have a president and then we have another president and it's different. And we have another president and that's even more different. I've lived through, okay, so I was born in 67. So Johnson, and I don't remember Johnson. So we have Johnson, we have Nixon, right? We have Ford, Carter. uh, See if I get this right? Carter. Um, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and, and Trump. I mean, look how many presidents we live through. So we can kind of understand that it was a time of political, and, and you know what happens during these, During you, you get a president, and and, and we're going to talk about each of these kings, but you get a president comes in, and boy, everybody's just so excited about it, until about the, Second, third year, and things start going downhill. So we'll see some of that as we go through this. I want you to understand the environment that Isaiah is prophesying in before we actually get into a lot of the prophecy. But most of these kings are disposed, are taken out of office because of internal squabbles. And this was just during the first 20 years of Isaiah's ministry. Now, if you go back through history, you will see that the northern, Israel had split into the northern and southern kingdoms just right after Solomon. So you have king David, who was the greatest king who ever um, ruled Israel, and then you have his son, who was a, a great king. And then you have it all going downhill from there, but they split And and, and as all brothers do, they have a tendency to struggle and they fight. I think most of the time when my brothers and I were growing up, we fought with each other more than we fought with the neighborhood kids, right? And this is what happens for Israel. They end up fighting with each other. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah begin to fight with each other almost more than they fight with the nations around them. There were times that there was outright hostility between the two kingdoms. And you can continue to see that in the New Testament because when the people came back, because the Assyrians had taken the people to all these different nations and they would intermarried, then you have the people coming back and settling in the north and they were considered to have impure blood. And the people of Judah, who mostly went to Babylon and then came back, looked at them through their noses, you know. That's why Jesus used the good Samaritan, because a Samaritan would never be kind to a Jew, at least in the Jews' eyes. So you can continue to see this hostility that's that's happening. But there were times when the kingdoms were extremely hostile towards each other. During the reign of Amaziah, which is, you know, the first king that, that Isaiah mentions is Uzziah, but his father was named Amaziah, and there was this war between Israel and Judah, and Jerusalem was ransacked. They ransacked the temple. They ransacked the, the palace, and they, they tore the city up. Now, Amaziah, who was Uzziah's father, did it, it, it went well to begin with. He was a good king at the start. As I said, remember our presidents, who, we, they come in and we think, oh, this is great. i got to wonder how many people who, who voted for our current president now think that it was so great. I don't know. And there are a lot of people who voted for Trump and they thought it wasn't so great. It happens. No reflection on anybody. But understand that we, the presidents or the, the kings started out well. Isaiah's Uzziah, father, Amaziah, he started out well. But he became proud and boastful in his accomplishments. Boy, that's a common thing that happens in our, in our politicians today. A few accomplishments, they start getting bolder. I had another word for it, but I'm not going to use it. They came proud. And after being captured during the war with the northern kingdom, he returns to rule with his son, but eventually his own people kill him in the city of Lachish. And you can read about that in 2 Chronicles. This was a time of much political change, both in the northern kingdom of Israel and in the southern kingdom of Judah, which is where... Isaiah will prophesy. Now, when Amaziah died, Uzziah, his son, became who sometimes is called Azariah. You gotta, you gotta be careful because you know they, they have multiple names. A king will do something and he'll pick up a nickname. It's like a nickname. I, I think I've told you this before. My when I was growing up back in West Virginia, my name was they would call me Scott, because that was my middle name, and they talk about Scotty. And when some when people I knew came, to West Virginia with us, and they're like, "Who's this Scotty?" They're talking about. Well, that was me, but my name's Chris. So it's a nickname. So you have got to understand who they are. So Amaziah, I mean Uzziah, uh, was actually also known as Azariah. He became king of Judah. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he was a good king at the beginning, just like his father Amaziah was. But he too had a problem. He became too proud. And it's it's interesting that at the times when we believe that we are the strongest, when we feel that we have the most power, is those times when the evil one has the greatest ability to come in and to move us in a direction we shouldn't go. The enemy attacks, and I'm not talking about the northern kingdom. It was written that Uzziah became powerful. His pride led to his downfall. Uzziah, in his pride, what he did was he went into the temple and he burned incense on the altar, which is not something the kings allowed to do. The only ones allowed to do that were the priests. You know the story of of, of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah, it was his time to go in and burn the incense. Only the priests could do it, and they were chosen to do it. But he did it, and he begins to argue. He gets caught. What was interesting, though, is he, did, he gets angry about the fact that he was caught, not about what he did. He was so prideful. He did not get angry at himself, like, why did, I, why did I do this? It wasn't that. He got angry at the high priest and the 80 priests that were there because they caught him doing it. And in the midst of his argument with them, he gets leprosy. It's a very sad commentary that even at a mature age, because this is when he was much older, even at a mature age, there is sin that can come into our lives. There is sin in our lives no matter what our age. But it's a sad commentary when we've lived a life, when we live life where we should be wiser than we were when we were 18, or wiser than we were 16 when we became king, and yet still we allow sin to conquer us. A very sad commentary on this. So Uzziah dies, and Jotham, his son, takes the throne. Now, Jotham is actually a good king. But the sad thing is that even if you have a good king, doesn't mean the people are good. And what we find, if you read the account, the people of Judah had been corrupted. The people of Judah been corrupted by the evil practices of the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was wicked. You know the story of Ahab and Jezebel. They were from the northern kingdom. They were corrupted. And they accepted many of the practices of the northern kingdom and of the people around them, the religious practices. Even though Jotham, as a king, was a good king. This is what it says in 2 Chronicles. I, I, I really encourage you to read the book of 1 and 2 Chronicles. Even if, you don't, even if you can't track everything, you may need to write some things down, but I read it. It gives a really good history of the kings. And This is what it says about Jotham. It says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done, except he did not enter the temple of the Lord. He learned from his father, don't burn incense in the temple. Don't we all want our kids, you know, we do something stupid, right? We try to tell our kids, don't do this, right? He didn't. He listened to his father. But the people still followed corrupt practices. It it doesn't matter who is king or who is president. The people will still do evil. We know that Jotham was a very powerful military leader. He was like David, and he was also a builder like Solomon. But, unfortunately, he wasn't going to be king forever because he dies, and his son Ahaz, which is mentioned in Isaiah, comes to power. And he was another story. He was not like Jotham. He wasn't even like um, Uzziah. His reign, like many of the ministrations that we've experienced in our own country, stands out as having no redeeming feature at all. He was faithless. He, he, what he did, he, he closed the temple down, so no longer could they, they do sacrifices in the temple. And he took all the money out of the treasury to pay tribute to Assyria, to get Assyria not to attack Jerusalem. He participated in Canaanite religious activities to the point where he even burned his own children in sacrifice. He was a wicked man, and this was the beginning of Judah's downfall. You see, we have to understand that God is is faithful. God is holy. And his character, and he's going to bring judgment. He has no choice but to bring judgment upon sin. And he's going to bring judgment upon Judah in order to humble them. As we we read through Isaiah, we're going to find these places where he talks about how he's going to destroy them. He's, he's, He's got to. In his holiness, he cannot allow them to continue. But then he relents and says, I'm going to bring you back it's like having a child you know there are times in my life where with Caleb and Abigail where they do something and boy I am boiling and I just if hmm you know we've all had those moments we just want them to go away right but then a few minutes later we're like gosh I love them so much and you grab them and you hug them and you bring and that's that's the way God is Praise God that that's the way God is. But Isaiah is going to show us that. See, if, if, if Judah can fall, so can we. And if Judah can be restored, so can we. And I can even take that as far as, as a nation, as a United States... Yeah, I think we've fallen, but we can be restored. What ultimately happens during, um, during his reign, the northern kingdom of Israel joins together with Syria to attack Judah. So in desperation, what happens is they make a deal with Egypt to provide protection from, As- from Assyria. Because Ahaz is not a man of faith. He doesn't doesn't turn to the one place he should go. He's got Assyria in the north, so what does he do? Assyria and and Israel are going to attack him, so he goes to Egypt and he makes a pact with them. Instead of going to God and repenting of what he has done and asking God to help, he doesn't do that. And it's at this time that the northern region of Galilee falls to the Assyrians. Which is also interesting because you think about this. What what does Nathaniel say about Nazareth? Because it's in Galilee. Can anything good come from Galilee? Because it was the first place that fell. There's There's a lot of bitterness in the southern kingdom towards the northern kingdom. And ultimately, in 734, the rest of Israel will go in, of the northern kingdom will go into captivity in 722. So now Assyria is on the doorsteps of Jerusalem. And Judah needs a faithful leader. And Ahaz is going to be judged for what he has done. And God will raise up one of Judah's greatest kings. During the time of Isaiah, and that king is Hezekiah. Hezekiah was probably one of the greatest kings since King David. Uh, Judah it will experience this renewal and a revival during his reign. See, even, even though the 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 northern and the southern kingdoms were split, the political and spiritual turmoil of the northern kingdom had extremely affected Judah. We, we live, our, our society today lives in a, we don't live in, in a time of where we can be secluded. We live in, in a time where the world, what happens in the world affects us. You know, we, we when COVID hit, we, we shut down the borders, right? We did not let anybody in. What happened? We still got it. Can't avoid it. Let's mask up. It's not going to stop it. Uh, The latest latest information I have seen is that even with with Omicron is so contagious, even masks are not going to stop it. So we're going to have to deal with it. We We live in a time when we are affected by those around us, not just in our country, but those outside our country. This is what we see happening all around us today. Government officials and the news media paint this picture so bleak because of everything that's going on. Judah has, has Assyria on its doorsteps, and, and it's, it's co- they constantly know that they're there. There's this fear that grips the people of Judah because Assyria is ready to attack. Today, the news media will paint this picture. I, I was reading, I was reading a, a post that somebody had posted. They had talked to their aunt who's a nurse on the East Coast, and she's an emergency room nurse, and, and she asked her aunt, so what's going on? Do you have a lot of COVID patients? Are you? She says, our hospital is overrun. And she says, but it's not patients that are suffering from COVID. It's all these people who have been scared by the media, and they'll get a, a positive test, and they'll run to the hospital and say, what, what can you do for me? And they'll say, take Tylenol go home. And they get mad, because they think they're going to die. And yes, People will die from COVID. But this was the same thing that was going on in Judah. They were afraid. They are living under this fear, under this crippling fear of their lives. And even though they, they might know the real truth, and they have Hezekiah, who's a great king, who's going to do amazing things, and God is with him, they still live under this fear, under this cloud that's gripping their society. We're going to see the Assyrian threat's going to be a very important part of Isaiah's message for almost the entire first part of the book. Now, we know or at least if you know if you know your history, you know that Assyria never conquers the southern kingdom. Because Babylon takes over Assyria and Babylon ultimately will come in and judge Israel judge Judah. But see, they don't have that benefit of hindsight. We know, you know, we know that ultimately this is going to become, it's going to become what's called an endemic thing. COVID is going to be endemic. It's going to be just like the flu. It's already, some state countries are already saying, we're just going to treat it like the flu. Because it's just, it's just going to happen. So the fear could be gone. But see, they, at this time, they don't know this. So more than once, what we're going to find is, we're going to find that Hezekiah is tempted to, to do something to remove the threat by unfaithful means. Instead of trusting God, he's going to try some other way. He's going to make a pact, try to make a pact with some other nation. And it's to Isaiah's credit and faithfulness that Hezekiah is kept from doing this over and over again. Isaiah lived in a time when nations were at war and they fell and kings were murdered and tyrants were threatening to take over the whole world. And during this time, politicians were doing anything but asking for the Lord's help. Hmm, sounds kind of in, kind of common today, doesn't it? People say, well, history is, history is linear. Just, oh, no, history is cyclical because humans are cyclical. We come around, we do the same stupid things over and over and over again. I see that in my own life. I have a hard time learning from my mistakes. Now, what we're going to find is that um, Isaiah's main concern is we're going, to, we're going to see that we're going to see some idolatry. Idolatry becomes his main concern. And this idolatry that was occurring in Jerusalem and Judah, see what happened is the people had replaced things with the one true God. Again, I look at that and I can't think that I can't help but think that we're doing the same thing today. Even in the church, we are replacing God in the church. Not here, but in churches across this country. Now we normally think of idolatry as, you know, we'd set up an idol, a statue, and we'd worship it. But idolatry has much deeper meaning. Webster's. Though, anymore today, I don't even trust Webster's because they're changing definitions. But they define idolatry as the worship of idols or excessive devotion to or reverence for some person or thing. See, see what the evil one will tell us is, you know, this, this, this is really no big deal. What you're doing here is no big deal. You still love God. You still believe in God. You still love Jesus. But if you do this, it'd be better. It's Jesus plus, you know, what you what you're doing, what you're doing is old, what you're doing is is misinformed. We got we got the new. This is better. But it's dangerous. See, the covenant that God had made with the Israelites was based upon the exclusive worship of God alone. Exodus 20 verse 3 says, "You shall have no other gods before me." no means no none they were even told later on in verse 20 in chapter 23 verse 13 they say pay attention to all that i have said to you and make no mention of the names of the other gods nor let it be heard on your lips they were not only told not to have other gods but don't even say their name why because when you name something you give it power you you make it valid It acknowledges their existence and gives credence to their power and influence over the people. Don't even use their names. See, the reality of idolatry is that the power of it is in the mind of the one worshiping. You know, we we think that we left idolatry centuries ago. But the reality is that it's alive and well in our society today and in our churches. Because idolatry works on our minds. Every day we attempt to drown our, our everyday fears under amusements or, or entertainment or professional achievements, and sometimes lesser fears are even try we try to push them under the carpet because we're gonna focus on this, we're gonna focus on on the good things in our lives. But we don't let go of the idols. We allow our fears, our possessions, our obsessions, and our successes define who we are. This is what was happening in Judah. We find our identity in what we do and who we think we are. The reality is that our identity is not from within us. It's from without My identity is in Christ, not in me and what I do. I'm a child of God. That's where my identity is. The people of Isaiah's time had this very unrealistic idea of who they were. I mean, we're the chosen people, right? God chose us. God saved us out of Egypt. Nothing bad can happen to us. God's never going to turn against us and turn away from us. But they had very little awareness of where that would lead. And today we're no better. Just like many people today, the Israelites were going through the motions of biblical faith. They didn't trust God. When trials and tribulations would come upon them, they they wouldn't seek God for his help. They'd try to figure it out themselves, or they'd seek other nations. In the book of Psalms, the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 46... And you would think, you would think that the Israelites would have taken heed of this advice, and you would think that we would do the same. This is what it says in Psalm 46, beginning of verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. When you're feeling, when you're feeling that you are that you are in trouble, that you're under stress, God is there. He is Question is, are you turning to him or are you turning to something else? You must trust in him. Now, he may, I'll be honest with you, there have been times in my life when I have been under so much trial and I turn to God and he says, here's where you need to go. You need to go to this person over here. He may send us to somebody. It's not that God doesn't use, that God will just magically take away all your trials. What he does is he's he's going to bring you peace where you can look at your trial and look at it correctly and realize there's things in your life you need to eliminate, idols that you need to get rid of. Psalm 46 goes on, it says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth Gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling Salah. Because see, when we when we rely on ourselves, when the, and especially the Israelites too, when they were with the Judahites, we want to call them that, the, the tribe, the southern tribe, was relying on themselves. It allowed Satan to have a, get a foothold in their lives. And he does the same thing to us today. And we play right into his hands. The Apostle John actually identifies the core of idolatry in 1 John 2.16. He says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. This stuff is not. These idols that we bring to our lives to deal with our fears, to deal with our insecurities. Those are not of God. Oh, God's blessing me. You know, I, I was just watching a video this last this weekend, and I'm not going to give the name, but it was a pastor, if you want to call him that. And, and you know, he's got like a $7 million uh, mansion that he lives in. Well, God, God blessed me with that. God didn't bless you with that. You're sitting there on this. You're sitting there on the video asking your people to. You need. You need nine million dollars. No, God didn't bless you with that. You took it. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and desire of the eyes, and the pride of life, are not from the Father. See, if we're to escape modern idolatry, we need to admit that it is rampant and we reject it in all its forms. It is not of God, but of Satan himself. And in it, we're never going to find fulfillment. And I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us and and bless us with resources for us to use, but the question is, what is important? Are you putting them above God? And it, it doesn't need to be even money. It could be things, it could be attitudes, it could be people, it doesn't matter. But we'll never find fulfillment in them. This is the great lie and the same one Satan's been telling us ever since Adam and Eve. Sadly, we're still falling for the same garbage. And even more sadly, many churches are propagating and preaching of this health and wealth and prosperity gospel built on the idol of self-esteem. Trust your feelings, they say. I keep, thinking of, I keep thinking of the scene from Star Wars. It's terrible. When, when Luke is getting ready to fire that, that missile and, and he hears what we want to say, trust your feelings. And I'm like, what a lie. Trust your feelings. But the reality is that our feelings lie to us. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Oh, yeah, I'm going to trust something that's desperately sick, right? No, I'm not. Scripture warns us of the deceitfulness of only trusting our feelings. In Proverbs 28, 26, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in the wisdom will be delivered. In Proverbs 14, 12-13, There is a way that seems right to a man, but it is the end that leads to death. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. We cannot trust our feelings. Now, I'm not saying that our feelings aren't real. They are real. But they're not always reliable. They can distort reality. And if they're allowed to run rampant, they can destroy our relationships with God and our relationships with others. I, I, numerous stories of uh, a husband coming to a pastor and saying, You know, I, I just, I just, uh, this other person, I know I'm married, but this other person, I just feel, I just love her too. Well, you can't. Well, why not? I, that's what I feel. Someone to do that instead. No, that's wrong. Just because you feel something, that doesn't make it right. We have to question our feelings because while they may help us see things, see our feelings do help us. They help us see things that our conscious mind can't. But they can also lead us astray if they are not focused outside of ourselves. It, understand? If, if my feelings, if I only focused on myself with my feelings, I wouldn't be doing this today. If I was only, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be married certainly because nobody's going to put up with that. If it's all about me, 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 and what I want, it's never, I'm never going to be happy. We need a sense of our sin. We must not fear it or resent it, because in reality, it's life even. and that's what we're going to see in Isaiah. Isaiah's going to say, look, here are your sins. Here's what you're doing. They need to know it, because they have this high idea that, well, we're just, we're just, we need to feel good. We need to be We need to be happy. And we do. We can be happy in Christ. that He's not going to hold our sins against us. But we need to know what they are. We need to face them. We have to have the courage to let Christ save us. And Isaiah is going to begin with this life-giving conviction of sin. And it is our first step back to God. See, the world's going to tell you. The world's going to tell you that what you need, you just need more self esteem, right? You need to feel better about yourself. But that's a lie. What we need is more humility, more Christ esteem instead of self esteem. We'll never find happiness by only focusing on ourselves. Our hearts and our minds are not centered on God. It it needs to be centered on God. It's not centered on God when we're we're focusing on ourselves. And we need to focus our hearts on others. This is why the greatest commandment, when, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the greatest and first commandment. But he didn't stop there. He said the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Your focus should not be on you. Your focus should be on God and on those around you. When we love the Lord and others, everything that is in, with everything that is in us, there will be no room in our hearts for idolatry. And what we're going to see in the rest of Isaiah is that the first chapter where he's going to show us this picture of what we are. He's going to show us a picture of who we are and how we've, we've only been focusing on ourselves. And as we progress through Isaiah, we're going to see how Isaiah prophecies will piece together that God has promised. He's going to do something for us because he loves us. And we love him with all of our heart, and he will save us. So we're standing at this doorway in Isaiah 1. And at that doorway, it's going to open the way going to open the way to our god glorification by deconstructing our self-glorification let's pray thank you for joining us today we hope this message was a blessing to you if you're watching on youtube please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the What Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.